With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Welcome, everyone, to the Healthcare Whisperer radio show. Uh, glad you're listening in today. My name is Hari Kulsa, and I am your host. I am a nurse practitioner and patient advocate. Uh, you can find me at healthcarewhisperer.com. Uh, my Twitter handle is H-A-R-I-K-1-0-8 or on Facebook, uh, Hari Kulsa. Uh, you can also call in today at 805-830-8363. And the purpose of this show is to provide information, tips, and tools to help you get through the maze of the healthcare system. You know, it certainly can be daunting, it can be scary, and it can be seemingly endless and endless. This show is about giving you the information you need to help you get through situations that you find yourself in. Before I introduce my guest, I I wanted to send again uh, my love and prayers to the families of the four people who uh, lost their loved ones that were killed in the Boston bombings. Uh, I want to also send my love and prayers to all those injured and and, uh, their families and wish them and pray a very speedy recovery. Um, And also to all those who witnessed the event, whether they were there or whether they were uh, watching on TV. Uh, It's truly beyond me why anyone would want to do anything like this. You know, Boston is a... The Boston Marathon is just an incredible day here in Boston. And, you know, you know, everyone knows someone who is running or who is down there watching. Uh, we all look forward to the day. We're the only state that has it off, and it's a big event. And it deeply saddens me that, the, that, that, that some lun- these lunatics did this to such innocent, wonderful, and peaceful people. Uh, My heart is deeply saddened by this, but as the motto goes, Boston strong. Uh, So today, uh, you know, I was thinking about what would be the best thing, you know, to help people. Oh, before I do that, I just want to say if you want to donate money, uh, there's the onefunboston.org, and that's uh, O-N-E-funboston.org, and that's been organized by the state, the governor and the mayor. Or Robert Kraft, who owner of the Patriot, Patriots, is uh, matching $100,000 funds. I'm sure we've already gone over that. Uh, but that's patriots.com slash donate. Uh, so if you feel moved to help those people who have a long road ahead of, ahead of them, please do. Um, but today I wanted to talk about something so that happens when trauma events occur like this, and it's post-traumatic stress. And I'm really lucky today. Uh, I have Michelle Rosenthal, who's an absolute an expert on, uh, has devoted her life to helping people with, um, PT, as we say in the trade, PTSD, which stands for post-traumatic stress. Um, she uh, has been on the show before, and she's she uh, will discuss uh, survive. Well, in the past show, she's discussed how she survived post traumatic. Uh, post-traumatic stress, and she has committed her life to sharing her knowledge and experience from her journey to health. Uh, As a keynote speaker, award-winning blogger, author, and workshop seminar leader, certified professional coach, and mental health advocate, Michelle works privately as a post-trauma coach specializing in post-traumatic stress disorder. She's also the host of a radio show, and I think she just changed the name of it, so I'm going to tell her it, right? I have it down as Your Life After Trauma, but I know she just changed it. I saw that on her website. Uh, she's also the founder of an incredible website called HealMyPTSD.com. Uh, she's written a, an, also an amazing book, Before the World Intruded, which is recently announced as a finalist for the Books for a Better Life Award. 
she works very closely uh, with the Warriors Pathfinder, uh, the program director. Well, let me let me back up. She sits on the advisory committee board for the Hope for PTSD Vets dot org, and is the program director for Wellness Services for the Warriors Pathfinder. Uh, Pathfinder program. And so I want to welcome Michelle and say thank you so much for coming on. Hi, Hari. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is such a critical time in Boston's history. And I'm, you know, just really delighted to be able to do whatever I can from so far away. Well, I'm really grateful because your knowledge, I mean, is, is, is just remarkable. Um, you know, I know in the past we've talked about your personal journey, and I know that it's, it gave you a lot of insight into, you know, you discovered that you had PTSD. PTSD. So I want to, like, dive into, you know, to to talking about what is this PTSD? I mean, what is this? I mean, we hear it all the time. But, uh, one of, you know, one of your quotes, and I love it. I absolutely love it. It's the first thing you see on your website. Um, and I wrote it down. Uh, PT, uh, PTSD is a normal reaction to an abnormal experience. I mean, that's mm. like that's incredible. So, I, why don't you just yeah? Why don't we just like start? What what is this thing? PTSD. <laughs> um, let, let, let's start. And I love that quote. That's actually a paraphrase from. Everybody was always saying that, and so I adopted the term. And then I said, I thought to myself, where did that originate? When I did a lot of digging, it was actually a paraphrase of a Viktor Frankl quote, who you know we all know is the father of logotherapy, and it's the idea that when you look like you're having an over-response to something that is an unusual experience. That's actually a normal response to be over-responding. And post-traumatic stress disorder is basically your stress response in hyperdrive. So we all have a stress response that motivates and activates in a million different ways in the body and in your mind when a threat comes into your immediate situation and we all know this like if if a dog starts to chase you you immediately your adrenaline starts to pump your heart pumps your breath gets more shallow you get all this energy to run and and flee or you might stay and fight and try to fend it off that's your stress response and with post-traumatic stress disorder and you know we're working hard in the community to get the disorder part dropped off because it's just really post-traumatic stress. It's not a disorder. It's you in survival mode. With post-traumatic stress, you go into survival mode and basically don't come out so that your mind and your body continue to function as if the threat, which is now in the past, is still in the present moment. And we should say that while all of us, 100% of us, will motivate motivate and mobilize a stress response when we need to, only about 85% of people, or I should say it the other way around, 85% of people move through stress and recalibrate and come back to homeostasis within a short period of time. Only about 15% of survivors end up with post-traumatic stress. So everything that we're talking about today, I want to make sure that we clarify it by by putting in place those statistics because just because you've been through a trauma doesn't mean you necessarily have or are destined to have post-traumatic stress disorder. Right, right. And there's it impacts people differently. I mean, there's you know, it it can be fleeting. I mean, you can have it, you know, it just take longer to get out of that stress reaction and you might have some symptoms or it can take a longer time because you don't realize that you're still so stuck in that place. There's that, that and you know what, Holly, there's also late onset PTSD uh, where you appear onset. fine at first, and I, I I think this happens a lot. You know, we cope, and we're sort of all like water pitchers. We can take, um, uh, you know, take stress and take stress, and it's like it keeps filling up ourselves as this little vessel. And then at a certain point, one more cup of water just overflows the pitcher, and it can totally topple and disseminate any of the coping mechanisms you've been able to hold in place and put you into a post-traumatic stress disorder response. 
so you're right. Some people go through a stress and then recalibrate quickly. Some people go through a stress and end up with PTSD right away. And then there are some that go through a stress and cope, and then something else usually triggers an enormous response, and that brings on PTSD. Right, right. You think, oh, everything's fine. I, I got over that. And then something small, it can even be something small. Or well, it could be anything, and you get triggered, and all of a sudden, you're 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 all you do is feel stress. Is that that's sort of what a late <laughs> onset would might be like, right? <laughs> well, there are three categories of symptoms for post traumatic stress disorder: arousal, avoidance, and re-experiencing. So there are you know criteria, diagnostic criteria for PTSD. It's not just stress, which I know isn't what you were insinuating, but just to clarify right, even right, more right. fully. Right. You know, post-traumatic stress disorder is diagnosed only when you have symptoms in those three categories, and we can go over what they are so people can start to recognize them in themselves if they exist. But PTSD is diagnosed when those three categories of symptoms have lasted for more than four weeks and are bringing an enormous amount of dysfunction to a person's personal and professional life. So just feeling very stressed, does not mean you have PTSD. It right, means you have more. stress. It means you have stress. Like welcome, to, yeah, welcome to the world. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. Uh, it's it's welcome to your living in New York City and crossing the street kind of thing, <laughs> which is my hometown. So I yes, oh. that's very very true. It's more that it's it's more that the you have a almost a change in personality. Not a change where it's dramatic, you know, but something is you just can't get back on on the uh, back into your regular thinking. Is that sort of what it would be? Well, you know what, Harry, you were really uh, you were on the right track. I think when you say a change in your personality, it is big. Okay. It can be enormous. Yeah. You can go, uh-huh. you know, like I've shared with you before. I was this happy-go-lucky kid before my trauma, and then afterward, I was a shell of that little individual, you know. And I had to figure out how do I live as this anxious entity. And I was raging with anger all the time and spewing it, you know, mostly at my mother. <laughs> and uh-huh. so there, there was my family. They really saw the big change, and for a lot of veterans, they can go to Iraq one person, they come back, and they can't relax, and they can't sleep, and they're angry all the time, and there is a big, it, you know, a, a psychiatrist uh, interviewed me for a book once, and as I was describing how I had felt and, and everything, she paused and she said, you know, Michelle, PTSD really becomes a lifestyle, and I thought that was a really great way of describing it because it does. It starts to be who you are. It is not all of who you are, but it, that's the way you start to live in this state of high anxiety where everything is a threat. And that does change your personality. You don't sleep well, if at all. You don't eat well. You don't have much self-care. So think about all of the things that keep us in a homeostatic balance, our contact with other people, our exercise regimes, our work that makes us feel like we're being productive. All of these areas become really impaired with post-traumatic stress disorder. So we're not operating like the person we used to be. And and then it's very difficult to figure out, well, who am I now if I'm always angry and I can't relate to people and I want to be alone and I don't sleep through the night and when I do sleep I have nightmares. You can really start to question if you're the same person at all. And And within that response, with the symptoms that we experience of arousal and re-experiencing and this enormous avoidance of everything, you can really see your personality start to distort between the nightmares and the intrusive thoughts and all of the don't make me talk about it, I don't want to face it, all of that behavior really can change who you are in ways that you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't even know, people will say, well, I, I got over that. That's not the issue. I'm sure that's what you said. That has, I, 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 I got better. I'm fine. That wasn't the problem. I mean, I can. That is sort of. I mean, isn't that what can happen? And it can take a while to identify what the real issue was. 
Definitely, because especially after trauma, like my own when I was a kid, but I was also in, you know, I'm a New Yorker, so I was living in New York City on 9-11, and you, you, after a big trauma, and I'm sure Boston is going through this now, you try to get back to normalcy, you know, whatever that new normal is. You try to create normalcy because that's what starts to make you feel the two things that you need to feel after a trauma, which is safe and in control. And as you move into, well, how do I create normalcy, you can fool yourself and, you know, however many people around you are willing <laughs> that you're doing just right. fine. Right, um, right, and right. And then, you know, you, and you really may be doing just fine until the newness of it all wears off and you realize, holy cow, I feel like I'm going to jump out of my skin. These thoughts right. that keep coming back over and over, I can't get them to go away. You know, right. little by little, you start to realize, I'm acting as if everything's fine, but it's not fine. And then you're right, right Hari, then you start denying it. <laughs> right, and inside you're just tortured because you can't, you don't know how, I mean, it would seem to me that you don't know how to express it. You don't know how to say to someone, well, I've got these thoughts, or this is what's happening to me. You know, or I'm so angry all of a sudden. You know, a lot of people don't know how to say that. And so it, it's it's very difficult sometimes. You you know, yeah, it's like you want to jump out of your skin, but you, you, you sort of have this new identity inside of yourself. So you don't know how to put the two together. Sorry, right, that's it, so insightful because that's so true. <laughs> it is, and I think that's one of the saddest things. And, and I was just... Um, uh, talking to someone last week saying you really need to find a way to express what you're thinking, what you're feeling to somebody that you trust. Because we all want to be really brave after a trauma happens. We want to be courageous. We don't want to look weak or, you know, we're already feeling vulnerable, so we don't want to, like, feel that way even more. So we do try to just carry on, like, I'm cool, I can handle it. But the fact is you're, you may be cool, but you're human, and humans right, respond right. emotionally, and you're supposed to. Right, and, right. And so you make a great point that, you know, we, we can try to pretend that we don't feel things, but we really do, and they need to be addressed. Because you know this, you see this, I'm sure, in your work all the time. If you ignore something, like an infection, it's not going to cure itself. <laughs> can I use that line with some of my people? <laughs> Of course, you can use it at will, Harley. <laughs> okay, good. Because, you know, so, yeah, and you shake your head. I mean, and that's the hard part for people around someone who's going through PTSD, PTS, PTS, we'll call it, you know, a post-traumatic stress, because they want they they want to say something. Or if they do say something, I'm sure your mother tried to talk to you, right? Or your father. Oh, holy cow, yeah. Yeah, holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't go well. <laughs> right, because you were like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, right? you're so right, Holly, and you're so sensitive and intuitively intelligent to know that. Because, well, here, here's the thing. It's scary to admit you're not okay. So on the one side, you want to look brave and courageous, courageous, and on the other side, you're terrified that you're falling apart. And it's very hard to accept help in that place because everything is so new and awkward and unfamiliar and frightening. When was the last time you felt like you couldn't handle something to that degree? It's terrifying. And so while you, on the one hand, want to look brave, on the other hand, you're just afraid that if you even open that can of worms, you're never going to come out. I, had, I literally had a client say to me yesterday, I don't want to go in this healing direction because I'm afraid I'll get sucked in doing the work I know I need to do and I'll never come out. And that was one of my biggest fears too. It's why I resisted telling anybody what was wrong with me and then I resisted my diagnosis and then I resisted treatment <laughs> because I was right, just right. so afraid. Right. What What will I find? You know, as if, yeah, because we, they, it's hard to believe that you can get better. I mean, uh, that's I, I'm, uh, that's part of it, I think. And what will I find? Will I like it? Will it be okay? Will I be able to handle it? I mean, these are questions that I think everybody goes through when they're faced with this internal uh, t turmoil. 
And uh, especially when you're having, you know, reliving events, you know, will this ever go away? And so it is hard, and it's, I mean, it's, and and I guess one of the reasons, I mean, I think this is so poignant with what is going on here for so many people, and I think it's just not Boston. I think it's everyone who's, many people, not everyone, but every many people who watched repeated over and over on television what went happened in Boston, and then here, where I am, we were in lockdown for a whole day, which was incredibly scary. You know, there are no cars on the road, there's nothing going on, we don't know what's happening. If I didn't have Twitter, I think I would have gone nuts. (laughs) 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 Because Twitter was really good for a local. But, um, you know, I think that, that people are might be having some of the uh, post-traumatic stress and you know they're they're saying well no I wasn't there I was I was in Oklahoma you know but I think I mean how how do you can you can you talk about that like having that experience from afar like maybe it's not so dramatic as having the actual trauma but the tra- I mean, seeing it can be as even on television or, or just it can hit you in a certain way or remind you of something. Is that well, true? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think in two ways. Number one, what I was saying earlier, we're human. We have feelings and emotions. We empathize. So right off the bat, if you know when you're watching the coverage, you're empathizing with the people who've been hurt. You're empathizing with the people who have lost loved ones. You're empathizing with the people whose lives have been changed. You know, there was even just yesterday on Yahoo an an article about the girl who's a dancer and now she's lost a foot. Well, that changes the the trajectory of her life in immeasurable ways. So. And I felt awful because I'm a dancer, and I thought, my gosh, if I couldn't dance. But that's not my livelihood. That was her chosen profession. So I think, you know, as human beings, we empathize, and that empathy cuts to the heart, depending on the mood you're in and how deeply you allow it to. And so I do think that from far away, you would be impacted. And I want to come back to that in a minute after I say also that I think, this kind of experience, you know, and and it's between 9-11 and this and Newtown and Aurora, Colorado, we all are in this together. And while we may not be exactly in the town where it's happening, the point is this could happen in your town. And so we're all face-to-face with our own inescapable vulnerability in this moment. And the question becomes, do I feel safe? Am I at risk? Am I in danger? And so then that kind of catastrophizing sort of thinking can start. And then you add to that, so I guess there was a third point here, you add to that your own personal history. If you have come from a trauma background, you are going to be highly sensitized to other traumatic events. And they can be absolute triggers for your own personal reaction, even if you're 3,000 miles away. So I think we have all three of those things going on and at play. And then you add to it your emotional experience right before this occurred anyway. So maybe you were already having a tough time. Maybe you just lost your job. Maybe you're getting divorced. Maybe your child is ill. So maybe you're already emotionally heightened, and then something like this happens, and it plays into how you're already feeling. And and then from there you can just imagine the cascade of emotion that it brings up. When you think of all three of those areas, that I already outlined, plus where you already were that day. I mean, it could be a recipe for pure emotional disaster. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, it's almost like I, I had to catch myself. I actually blogged about this. I had, I had to catch myself from thinking, oh, I don't want to go into Boston. You know, I, I had to mm. stop and say, okay, now, Wahari, why don't you want to go into? Well, you know, and the, my little, you know, my little voices yeah. you know, yeah. are saying, are saying, well, you know, look what happened, you know. But and but my then I said, Hari, you can go into Boston. You know, I mean, it was this almost this mini battle going on in my brain, 
and I understood that that I could get, you know, that I could that I under I thought I understood, or you know, that of uh, post traumatic stress, you know. So, you know, I I think that if I'm having it, and I'm a professional. I mean, it can happen to anyone. I'm not saying because I'm a professional, I'm not going to get it, but um, but you know, it it I, I think people are having these sort of do these conversations with themselves. And you know, at different levels, and I'm and I and I'm sort of seeing that around here, or hearing people talk. Everybody wants here to talk about, you know, oh, you know, this is horrible. Oh, well, you know, I was with a 93-year-old woman who today was one of the funerals for the um, for the MIT policeman uh, Sean Collier, mm. and it, and she was watching it, and she turned to me and she said, "Why do people do this?" And I was like, whoa, I don't know why people, do. you know, and, and I could tell she, you know, luckily I think sometimes she forgets that she asked me the question, but, uh, but you know, it, it's so prominent everywhere here. And I guess my point is, is that, you know, for people who are listening, that, yeah, you're having, it's, yes, these conversations are happening. Don't think you're, this may not be full-blown post-traumatic stress, but, this is a trauma, uh, a stress, and possibly trauma reaction, right? I mean, this. Well, and let, let's also say, Harry, that before post-traumatic stress disorder is acute stress, and acute stress can be any kind of dysregulation for you know, like four weeks after a trauma, where you have mood swings and sleep disturbances and all kinds of behavioral changes while your mind seeks and works so hard to organize the chaos of what it's just experienced and process it and integrate it and and put it into the proper perspective in terms of your overall persona and so acute stress it happens you know can happen to anybody all the time and it doesn't mean you're going to end up with post-traumatic stress but it, it does signify to you that you need, you know, I think this is a great time, Harry, to talk about self-care. We need self-care during a time like this. The tendency is I'm just going to push through. I'm just going to push through. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to deny it. I'm not going to, you know, face it. But the fact is that the more you tend to yourself during this time, the more quickly you can access your resilience, your inner strength, and your ability to self-regulate and bring yourself back to a recalibrated state of homeostasis that can then ease you into, okay, how do we move forward now? Yeah, how do I, how do I deal with this? I mean, right? I mean, that's really kind yeah. of the question. So, so we talk about that's really, that's really great, self-care. So how do people, what, how, how would somebody do that? I mean, what, when we talk about self-care, push through, tend to yourself, what are some of the things that someone could do? I always think, I'm going to, you know, I can't wait. Walden Ponds, it's just almost warm enough to go swimming again in Walden Pond. So I'm like, yeah, that's going to that's gonna be my healer. But um, what can, I mean, I think of exercise, but there are many, many things people can do. What, 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 what do you recommend to people? Well, I think the most important thing is to do what resonates with you because that, uh -huh. that's sort of what you were saying. Like you love exercise, so do I, and we all know the benefits of it chemically in the body in terms of how it promotes stress reduction and endorphins and mood enhancers. So I, I love exercise too, but I do recognize that, you know, the most important thing is that you reconnect with yourself and your world in a way that feels good to you. And that's really, to me, I, I don't care how you do it then, but I'll get into some ideas, but to me, that's what self-care really is all about. It's about how you reconnect to yourself and your world in a way that feels good to you. Because after a trauma, we, can, we tend to get disconnected from both of those entities. Fear makes you really turn inward and isolate, and at the same time, it makes you fragment in yourself sometimes. So... And, and, my, and then you start having the conversations like you were discussing earlier. And I know for us, in, after 9-11, I, I needed to take the subway to get to work. But the last place I wanted to be right, was right, in the right, subway right. after 9-11. Right. And, right, you know, right. it was, do I get up two hours earlier so I can walk to work at the other oh, end of right, the city? Right, yeah. 
Right, right, when it's raining or, yeah, yeah, that'd be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. or it's snowing, yeah, it doesn't yeah, work. Yeah. So so you have those conversations with yourself. Well, those conversations are so much better if you put yourself in a state of mindful awareness and, if possible, relaxation at the same time. So, of course, exercise is a great way to do that because it helps your heart rate variability in addition to the chemical changes that it makes in your body. And your heart rate variability can really help regulate your physiological self. And so that's one thing. Um, But also meditation is fantastic, and we all think, oh, no, I don't want to sit still. I I used to have in my mind, if I have to meditate, I'm going to have to sit like a monk for hours on end, and I'm not doing it. But the truth is that meditation is just a focus. That's all Uh it is. It doesn't Uh mean you have to empty your mind. It means you just focus your mind. So, I mean, like right now I'm looking at, you know, the door handle to my office. You could just sit for five minutes and stare at the door handle, and every time your mind wanders, you just bring it back to, oh, look at the color of the door handle. Uh-huh. One of That's- you know the most easy ways to do this is just to focus on your breath so that you're just really just noticing and observing how your breath comes in and out of your body. And every time your mind wanders, you just bring it back to, huh, look at that. Look at how my breath is going in and out of my body. And we know from research that just doing this three to five minutes a day starts to train your your mind back to a state of focused attention, which also helps you bring yourself back, recalibrate to a homeostasis where your body starts to learn what it means to come down from that anxiety. So... We have we have meditation, and then you can add into that actual breath work, which is all about controlling your breath. You know, the more slowly you breathe, the more your body physiologically gets the message, everything's okay. And the more you send your body that message, the more it sends the message to your mind. Hey, everything's cool. We're okay. So you've got right, exercise, right. you've got meditation, you have breath work, and then Really, to get back to where I started, what feels good to you? I love to dance. So uh-huh. for me, it's getting on a dance floor and really connecting to what feels good about being me. I have a client who, who he gets that feeling on the back uh, of a jet ski. <laughs> so he right, takes right. himself off to, onto the ocean. I have another client. She Her favorite thing is just getting on a back road on her Harley. So asking yourself, what makes me feel good to be me and right. then go do that and and that can be you know in addition to massages are always good that kind of stuff it's really the interior connection that allows you to connect to the outside world that's what i love to promote because it's it's in all of that integration that you can bring yourself back to center and it's easy self-care it, it's you know most of the time it's it can be free so it's not like you have to invest an enormous amount in doing something that's really going to help you move forward now. Right, and it's really um, it's really okay to be a little bit selfish when it comes to this. You know what I mean? If you're feeling, having these feelings, it's okay to say, okay, I should go to this party or this, you know, business, but I need to go do this because... I'm having this experience or I'm having these feelings. It's okay to do that because you won't be a, you won't be able to do what you need to do in the rest of your life if you can't deal with what's what's happening inside. I mean, or you can't help I guess you can't deal or you I hate to use the word can't, but you know, you have difficulty. It becomes more cumbersome to walk through your day when you're when you're having when you're battling with yourself. So I always say it's okay to take the time. You know, sometimes I tell people, I'm giving you permission. I'm going to write this on a <laughs> prescription pad. Here, here's your prescription. <laughs> you know, and I it, you know, love that. Can I have a prescription pad? <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. I love that. I think that's awesome. You're fantastic. I think I think you're absolutely right. And I would even flip it around instead of saying, you know, you're not going to be any good. You're not. You can't or whatever. If you don't do this. I would say you're going to be so much better. You're going to be so much more prepared. It's going to be so much more easy for you to go to this work function if first you do 
your hour of yoga or your horseback ride or whatever it is for you. I I think that, you know, it really helps to look at the positive outcomes of self-care because you're right. We do have to be selfish and say, no, this is important. Yes, I need to do this and I'm, I'm putting down this boundary and I'm making this happen for me because I need it or I simply want it. You know, yeah, and it's yeah. even, it's like, you know, Hari, when you get on an airplane and you're flying with a small child and they say, in the event of emergency, if the oxygen mask comes down, put on your mask first before you help the child. Yeah. And to me, that's what self-care is. Do your self-care first <laughs> before you try to engage with other people because you'll be so much more effective if that's the order that you do things in. Right, right. And I tell people also don't you can do start start with short time periods. I mean, you you said it best, you know, 5 minutes. Start your meditation mm-hmm. five. I sometimes say start at 1 minute, you know, if I'm really getting someone who's very apprehensive about doing it. You know, just start. Just start. It's all about starting. And don't, you know, and work up to it and get comfortable with it. You know, and and I think that that's important to let people know that they don't have to go out and exercise for an hour. You can go out, or or you know, or whatever it is you do, whatever it is, just start again. You know, and and remember, have that memory of what it, of the enjoyment that you got from it. You know, you're mm-hmm. dancing. You know, if you stop dancing, you'd be like I actually have someone, a client who hurt their arm. And the doctors all said she she can't dance. She had to rest. She had to rest. She had to rest. And she tried it for two days, and she called me up crying, saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. My life is dancing. I said, well, okay, well, move your feet. They didn't say you couldn't move your feet, you know. But you've got to keep your arm so it's not flailing, you know. Mm. And, you know, but she was, she just... It's what she had to do to be who she was. She and I needed think to do river what dance. What? She needed to do river dance where right, it really right. is just your feet. <laughs> right, 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 right. She did, and but she, um, you know, she came through it. It took, it took a little bit. It, it, it was, it was hard for her at first, but she was, she was able to do it. But one thing I wanted to back up a little bit. You mentioned this sort of inward fear on the frag- fragmentation of the self. And I think one thing that um, people, you know, if they see someone who looks like they're having a hard time or they're isolated, because you, you know how fear can I, I be isolating, mm-hmm. you know, because then people, you know, if you can see someone who, or if you know someone who is a friend or a co- even a colleague and you see them beginning to isolate, you see this change, it's okay to reach out to them. I mean, I say reach out to them. You know, uh, you know, you don't have to like uh, just just ask them how they're doing. You know, don't let it. Sometimes people need to be pulled out of their of their fears too, and just that kind word and that kind or that loving thought is is can be very helpful for people. I, I think you're so right. My mom, when I, you know, I struggled with PTSD for 24 years before it was diagnosed. So there was a long time that we didn't know what was wrong with me. We just knew there was something really wrong with me. And, um, you know, my, my parents both had different ways of dealing with it. My dad finally got to a point where he just didn't know what to do with me. And he just threw up his hands and said, you know, I, I just, I can't, I can't relate to her. <laughs> and, Aww. I mean, he loved me, but he just could not relate to me. Whereas yeah. my mom would constantly be calling and saying, let's go to a movie, let's go to a play, let's go to a museum, let's go for a walk. Because she just felt like if you just keep putting, if she just kept putting herself out there, A, I would know that somebody cared. B, if I got to a day where I felt I could share or communicate, she was going to be there and ready. And I and I, I did an interview with her and another caregiver maybe four years ago, talking about everything from the caregiver perspective. And both my mom and the other caregiver that I was interviewing both talked about how important it was to them to keep reaching out because they felt it was important to make the person who was struggling know you're not alone. And while it didn't necessarily come into me that way while I was struggling, because there was a lot of 
you know, there were a lot of times that I just said to my mom, why can't you just leave me alone? Right, <laughs> right, right. Is, Pari, I think it did really matter to me to know I wasn't all by myself. And the times when I really did let myself fall apart, it was my mom that I reached out to and said, you've got to come get me. You know, I, I, something's, I, can't, I can't come out of this. And I'm going in the wrong direction. And so I, I do think you're right to, to reach out to somebody and let them know I'm here, I'm ready, and we can either go to the museum and not talk about it, or we can go to a museum and find a quiet bench in a corner and you can tell me what you're thinking. So it's it's the idea of being there. Right, and I think your mother uh, said it. She kept calling. You know, and yeah. she expect. I imagine at some point, you know, she expected no, so when she got a yes, she was right on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I have to say, you know, when you're in that in that, in that post traumatic stress mode, you're like a feral animal. You are always defensive, so you are, you know, often striking out at the people who are really most trying to help you. And so, I, I think the challenge for that person on the outside is to know that the behavior that's being directed to you really isn't about you because those of us who are struggling to hold our stress response together aren't necessarily thinking straight. We're just thinking I need to be safe and this person is trying to pierce the veil of my safety by trying to make me come out of this space. But the weird thing about PTS, Hari, is that it becomes so dangerous for you to live like that while in your mind you're thinking I'm so safe I know I'm up 24 hours a day I'm aware of every threat there is you know you, right, you right, become right. this manic anxious person thinking I'm doing such a good job keeping myself safe not that that's necessarily your conscious thought every day but that's the lifestyle that you develop because that's how you feel safe. And the irony, one of the many in PTSD, is that the very thing you're doing to keep yourself safe is the thing that's putting you in the most danger because you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're not communicating, you're not interacting, and you are heightening your stress level 24 hours a day to a point that you know a lot of, a lot of us have physical complications because your mind can produce 50% more stress than your body, and then your body will let you know, I'm overflowing here with what you're dumping in here. And, right. and then you've got other problems to deal with. Right, which uh, divert you from realizing that this is related to a, trauma, you know, a traumatic event in the past, that this is, you know, you are having the PTSD, and it, it diverts you away from that because you start having, I mean, your story is pretty remarkable, amazing. Um, you know, what you went through physically, you know, being told uh, the different various diagnoses, and they were real. I mean, it wasn't like you were making them up. They were real. They were diagnosed. I mean, I think the most profound one was about your bone mass. And mm -hmm. I think that that, to me, I've actually relayed that story to people and it's it's pretty pr it's profound that that was really the changing moment. I mean, because really stress impacts our immune system, and there's just so much that our body can fight off for so long, like you said. And then all of a sudden, the body's going to say, "Taking a holiday." The immune system says, "Taking a holiday." <laughs> you know, I need. Yeah, I, exactly. I, or like in the example you just brought up, you know. Stress produces high cortisol. High cortisol leaches calcium from your bones. When you lose calcium from your bones, you end up with osteoporosis, which right. you're, you're, you know, you're re referencing the fact that I was diagnosed with advanced osteoporosis at the age of 35. I mean, that's ridiculous. Very <laughs> so ridiculous. That's, that's a great example. You're right. And we don't think about it. We think I'm coping. We know we're not the same. We know in our heart of hearts, you know, like I've shared with you before, Hari, I, I walked around thinking to myself, some people in this world are just meant to be crazy, and I'm one of them. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and you just accept that that's who you've become. But as you've brought up so many times in your own work, if you advocate for yourself, the idea is finding a way to bring about change because change is always possible. And right. so it's having the courage you know, we think we're being so courageous, I'm managing. But the courage is actually seeking help and getting the help that you need and doing the work to free yourself. It's not that hard to cope. 
the courage comes in facing the thing that terrifies you and moving through it. Coping is just really avoiding, like you have to get through the day, so coping is important, but at the bottom of it, if it just keeps you from facing what needs to be faced, coping is one of the worst things you can do. Yeah, yeah, I just got this image of like being, you know, you're in a sailboat and you're using an oar. You know, you're coping, you're 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 yeah. getting along in life, but you have this beautiful sail, but you yeah. no, 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 can't use the sail, can't use the sail. <laughs> you know, I've got to use the oar. Totally. You know? and, That's a great um, image. Yeah, Especially but, when it's a day that there's wind. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That would be helpful, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, in light of that, so so I guess one of the things I'd really like to talk about is, yes, you finally, I mean, for you, you talked about when you got that diagnosis um, of osteoporosis, and, I, and I, you said this in the last show, last time you were on was that, you know, you realized the doctor said to you your bones were kind of coming apart or, you know, coming. He like, said that if I didn't figure out how to make a change in the way I was living, that my bones would start to crumble spontaneously. Yeah, and I think spot, it was yeah. the words crumble spontaneously <laughs> that sort of woke me up out of my PTSD coma and made me realize, holy cow, you know, I've been avoiding for a really long time, and clearly you can't avoid crumbling bones. No, no, no. Not generally. Not generally. You need to be able to walk. And, and, and I mean, it's not just your bones in your legs. It's the bones in your jaw. I mean, we're talking everywhere. I just had someone who that actually happened to related to radiation, and it's just pain. Mm. I mean, it's so hard to watch. You know, they mm. had to take the bone out. So, um, mm. yeah, so this, so it is a, a very, tra- very traumatic. So in light of that, what what can people do? I mean, I know there's not a, necessarily a cookbook. We talked about self-care, and, and and that's, you know, something. But what else? I mean, there are, I mean, should people, should they go to counselors? Should they, I mean, what do you tell, how, how do you approach this with clients or people who call you up and ask for help? I think that's a gr- yeah, that's a great question, and I, I think that there are a bunch of different ways to go about it, actually. I think that, you know, from the very beginning, self-care is important and the ways that we discussed it. And then I think it also can be a great time. I think community is so important. You know, wow. the idea that we don't heal in isolation. We heal in community. And so it's a time to reach out, to connect with your religious community, your local neighborhood, or an organization or an association or a group that resonates with something that's important to you or fun to you or meaningful. And I also think it's a it's an important time, as we referenced earlier, to face it, focus, and share so that you learn how to talk about trauma and how to frame everything, you know. I think so much of what drives us, not I think, the truth is, so much of what drives us is our belief system. And what I think is that after trauma, it's really important to claim your narrative of the story. Because if we avoid it, it, the events in our memory will take on their own narrative, and that can be very distorted by the belief system that gets put in place after trauma and the fears that drive it. But when we take an active uh, stance in terms of I'm going to frame this story, then we can start really reclaiming control because trauma makes us feel out of control. And when we start claiming the story, choosing how it's told, the order in which it's told, the way it's interpreted, how we describe something, to whom we tell it, we start taking that control. And that shift from powerless to powerful is hugely important in post-trauma recovery, whether you have post-traumatic stress, acute stress, or just 
you're feeling bad from what happened. All three of those scenarios really function, I think, at the bottom level on the same types of processes for us to move through them. Wow, powerless to powerful. I mean, that's so incredible to me, was that, that I've never heard it t- told like that, to, to claim the story, to claim the story, to tell it how how you, how it, how it is in your brain. Is that correct? I mean, tell it to who and to who you want to tell it to and tell it how it has to be told, choosing how it's told. That That is so remarkable and so powerful to hear. And, and it really does speak to go being powerless where you're sitting with this, not knowing how to talk about it, not even recognizing the event. And then when you do... Not to be told how to tell it. Well, really, you probably, I mean, people say, well, you probably felt like this. Well, no, I didn't really (laughs) feel like that, you know. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't need to be scared. There was somebody there. You just didn't see him. You know what I mean? No, Mm -hmm. that's not what happened. It doesn't matter. So that's, wow, I'm going to have to blog about that because that is, that's remarkable. That's a remarkable way to approach it. I've never heard that. Maybe I'm going on and it's, I just haven't heard it before, but I think it's very powerful. Well, I I am glad that you like it because I just <laughs> laid it out that way <laughs> because that that's the way it is in my head. I know as a trauma survivor and as a as a practitioner, that's where I see work, and that's why I think it works. So feel free to share. I think yeah, because, also go ahead. No, I was well, going to no, say that. That a lot of people who have like, and I, I really re- I, I get a lot of people who are on uh, come to me who are on pain management, and they are they're they're so fearful, and they don't know how to tell the story. They only tell the story of the medicine, and I keep telling, well, what's your story? I don't say it like that, mm-hmm. but that's what I'm trying to get. So for me, that's like so powerful. That's so powerful. I think you're right because especially as patients, we feel powerless. And you know my original trauma was medical, so I'm I'm very in tune with with that uh, perspective. And as a patient, we feel powerless. And as a trauma survivor, we feel powerless. And in those moments, we're looking for who's the authority figure, who knows more than I do, that's going to help me figure out how to process this. And the tendency is to let the authority figure choose the narrative. But the problem, as you already so appropriately pointed out, is they don't know how you felt. They don't know how it was experienced by you. It, you know, it's the, the most classic illustration of that is the idea that you and I could be in the exact same traumatic experience and walk away with two totally different experiences. Like, just think about a car wreck. Or I'll give you a great example, one of my friends. Um, she and her husband were driving down I-95, which is just, it's crazy down here in Florida. <laughs> and so yes. it was yes. raining and slick, and they were on their way to a Frisbee competition with their two dogs in the back of the, the car, and a car in front of them skidded, and to avoid that, um, my friend's husband was driving. He turned the wheel. They ended up hitting the guardrail, flipping over five times, and coming to rest You know, very far down oh. the highway. Oh. One of the dogs actually flew out the window and was safe but in a ditch, and it's pouring rain. Now, uh-huh. out of this, they're both fine. Out of this scenario, when my friend is telling me this the next day, she is telling me as she's about to go buy a new car because their car was totaled. And she's all excited. She's picking out her new car. Her husband does not want to have a thing to do with it, doesn't want to get behind the wheel, doesn't want to have to go on the highway. He's having a very different response. Well, what's the difference? They both were in the same car wreck, but she's acting like, okay, that's what happens. We're getting another car. And he's acting like, that's what happens. We're never getting in a car again. (laughs) Right, 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 right. So I think you were making such an important point is to let yourself define the story the way it happened to you, not the way somebody else is trying to get you to see it and not the way you think somebody wants you to describe it because healing comes from being present in the moment that you're in. And when we let other people define that moment, then it's not our moment. 
then we're not really present in the moment. And it's very hard to get any healing work done if you're in somebody else's moment <laughs> or right. if you're in the past or you're in the, in the future. You need to be in your present moment. And it's really important to hold on to that idea. Right, right. So that's that's important for people here in Boston who are going through, I mean, those people who are there at the event. Um, you know, and then there's all the runners who kind of came up against the police who said, no, no, turn around, marathon's over. Right. You know, there's like thousands of different experiences that happen. Like at 9-11, there are just so many stories. And then there's all of us who... You know, then there was the lockdown people, you know, and people having bullets going through their houses as that during the gunfight. Mm. And, you know, I think the message here is that it is your story no matter what it was, no matter how you experience this, whether it was sitting, you know, turning on your television at you know, just happen to turn it on to watch, you know, uh, Ellen or whatever show was on, and there it is happening. You know, that experience, you could you could suddenly feel very frightened by that. You know, you don't want to watch Ellen again. Sorry, Ellen, I think you're a great show. But, you know, I mean, so you, so it's okay. You know, it's like we're giving you permission. It's okay to have your story. You're right, and it is yeah, and it's really to underscore what you're saying, Hari, because it's also really important. It's okay to have your response. Yes. What you're feeling is okay. And it's important. Yes. yes, 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 yes. It doesn't matter if you were, like you said, if you were standing next to your best friend or you were running with your best friend or you're sitting with your loved one at home watching it, your response is yours. And it's whatever that is. And if you're having trouble dealing with that response, if you're like thinking in my mind, why am I having this response? Nobody else is. There's also, I mean, I always tell to find a person who deals in post-traumatic stress. Talk to them or talk to somebody. I mean, is that something you tell people also? Seek counseling or seek someone who understands the process? Definitely, definitely. I mean, that was why I founded the HealMyPTSD.com website, because I felt it was so important to find people who understand you and to find the information so you can understand yourself. And so, yes, I I think that it's, you, you know, well, in my own story, Hari, I spent eight years with a psychologist who was, you know, I loved him to death, but in retrospect, he had no idea what trauma or PTSD was really all about, and he definitely didn't understand the treatment process. So it's really important to find someone who's well-trained and equipped to help you, which means more than just they know thought field therapy. They have to know, you know, which is a nice treatment technique, but they have to really understand how trauma works. It's not just can they lead you through a process, but do they understand how trauma works? and yeah. how the recovery process works so they can guide you through it. Right, right, right. They need to, because there are a lot of actual, there are people who really don't accept this as, I mean, they don't understand it enough to really accept the profound impact of post-traumatic stress. So it is vitally important to find someone who who you, who understands, who is a prof- really studied you know, is an artist almost in how to deal with this and to actually wants to help someone get help get relief from it. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about your mother when you were young may not be, you know, I mean, that may be the trauma, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> oops, oops, who knows. But what I'm saying is that you, it's more, it's often more than just talk. You know, there are like sometimes hypnotherapy is a good, is a good way for some people. And not everything works for this. For everyone, I mean, there's EMDR treatment. There's different ways. There's different approaches, and sometimes people do need to take some medicine for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you need to. The key is you need to find someone. And your site, Heal My PTSD, offers resources, 
right? It does. We have a whole tab for treatment that gives an overview of the different types of treatment approaches. Uh, there are, you know, so many of them, but we have highlighted on the site uh, both traditional and alternative, just to give you sort of a base to to move forward from. And and yeah, we we yes, we have a resources page about you know, PTSD organizations and associations that you can reach out to for help. And also, um, you mentioned my radio show earlier. We did just recently change the title from Your Life After Trauma to Changing Direction. So the show is still all about how to overcome trauma, but it is also now how to reclaim who you are and rebuild and redefine your life. And all of the archives are at yourlifeaftertrauma.com. We have two years' worth of shows all about treatment for trauma and different experts weighing in and sharing and how to move forward. So there are a lot of ways to find what you need. Right, and is there is there um, with your show, can people listen live because you're on – you're, are you on the internet also, or are you you're on in a radio, regular radio, right? Radio? I, we were on terrestrial radio, then we got picked up and moved to internet radio, and now we just moved to Blog Talk Radio because I just love the platform and the community there. So we yeah. are we're back on Blog Talk Radio, which is where we started. <laughs> you oh, know wow. where, where I started four years ago. So yeah, we're back. We're all in the family now, Harry. Oh, good. We're blog talkers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we are. We have a. I have a few extra. Can you go about five more minutes? I know we're, we've hit our time, but um, I've got some extra time. Do you have about five more minutes to wrap up here? Or? I do have five minutes to wrap up, and then my parents are expecting me for dinner. Okay then. And I love <laughs> your mom, even though I've never met her. I just think she's the best. So tell she is, her that. She's awesome. I, I will tell her. I'll tell her. I think what she did, the story, uh, I, I, it's just remarkable, remarkable. She, she, she's remarkable. I, I already said that. I know. So um, I guess you know, in closing, let's just say, what um, is there anything, any advice you can, you know, just to your sort of say how to how to get started, how someone, you know, who's been listening or you know is in this situation, what besides this, what would be the first step? What would you say? Talk to someone? Talk to your no, family? No, actually. Yeah, I think that's an important step, but no, it would not be the first step. The okay. first step would be to admit you are feeling something that is uncomfortable. And in that admission, become really aware of how it is that you feel. Are you feeling more anxious? Are you feeling more frightened? Are you feeling more angry? Are you feeling more sad? Are you feeling on the edge of tears for no reason? I I think the first thing is to become very mindful of your experience because we can't ask for help unless we can really discuss and express why we need help. So... I think that the first thing is to really become mindful of your experience now. What is okay and what is not okay? And then after that, following your lead, Hari, yes, I think it's reaching out first within your personal circles to friends, family, colleagues, and saying, here's what I'm struggling with. And then from there, moving to a professional resource. And obviously, everybody decides what order to do it in that feels good to you. I personally like the personal first and then the professional because I think the personal can help us start figuring out how to express what we need to be able to tell a professional so they can help us. But mm-hmm. I understand that you may you may be in a position where you, you don't feel comfortable sharing this with any personal relationship, in which case definitely go to a, a pre- professional practitioner and have them help you lay out, okay, here's here's what's going on. And from there, developing your knowledge base, because I think, and you can tell me what you think about this, Hari, but I think that recovery really relies on information. If you yeah. understand why you're behaving the way you do, yeah. you can, number one, stop all the self-recrimination, you know. You could stop doing what I did. Some people are just supposed to be crazy. That's me. That's ridiculous, you know. 
trauma causes changes to the brain. And the reason you're feeling hyperactive and and all of that anxiety is because your amygdala has been highly sensitized to stress, and it does not understand it needs to shut down. So learning enough to understand this isn't you. This is you in response to something, and now you just need to figure out how to process through that response. Right, So those, those would be my ideas about starting being mindfully aware of your experience, reaching out to your personal circles, reaching out to a professional circle, and then doing your homework to educate and inform yourself so that you understand what's happening so that it can help you figure out how to fix it. Oh, that's perfect. So, And also, number five, go to... Uh, healmyptsd.com for all the infor- for for getting some of that information because there is just so much on your site um, and uh, listening to your uh, your life oh what's changing direction is that it <laughs> is that the new yes, name that's of the right show? changing direction yep I, I like that okay well I won't keep you anymore even though I'd love to keep going 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 um, and of course I'll probably have you on again. And I appreciate so much your time. I know you're very, very busy, and you just have so much to give, and I thank you so very much. And keep keep doing this. We we need it. And I'm going to thank keep sending you, people Holly. your way. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. So we all are in this together. So we send people back and forth because both right. of us have things that are helpful and necessary, and together we build a community where we take care of each other. And, and that's, that's right. You know, that's really in the end. We're human. We empathize. We take care, and that's partly what you're doing, even in this moment right now. So thank well, you for your dedication and your time. Yes. Well, don't forget to tell your mother she's wonderful. I will. I'll tell her. <laughs> Have okay. a great night, Holly. Thank you, you so too. much. Thank you. I, I appreciate Bye-bye. it. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Well, thank you everyone for listening. I'm I I hope uh you enjoyed this show as much as I did. The information was just remarkable. And please feel free to contact Michelle at healmyptsd.com. Again, you can reach me at uh healthcarewhisper.com. My phone is 866-980-4325. And again, you know, reach out, as she said, admit you are feeling something and get the process started. You're not alone. There's somebody who will help you. Okay, everyone, everyone in Boston, all my love, all my prayers, Boston strong. Thank you and good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.